You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, it's Locked On Warriors on a Thursday. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News, doing a crossover episode with David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, my co-host over at Locked On NBA on Tuesday. So if you guys aren't listening to that, be sure to do so. And we're here previewing Thursday's game between the Warriors and Heat in Miami. And the last time these teams played, David, uh, the Warriors won 120 to 112 in overtime. That game on February 17th for Golden State, Kent Bazemore came off the bench for 26 points. Steph Curry had 25 points, including the dagger three-pointer in overtime. Uh, the Heat, that was one of their rare games where they had both Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo earlier in the year, even though Goran Dragic did not play. The Warriors did not have Draymond Green in that game. So now that we're caught up, David, how have the Heat changed since February 17th? Well, I, you'll get a taste of it on on Thursday when they rolled out Victor Oladipo, presumably for the first time this season. That's the expectation right now. We're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. He won't be available against the Indiana Pacers when the Heat play them in Indiana on Wednesday night. But uh, returning home on Thursday, Oladipo is expected to be available. So that'll be the biggest change. Since then, well, they've been up and down. There's nothing consistent as far as this whole season has been concerned with Miami. But over the last couple of weeks or even that month-long period since they played the Warriors last, they've had their run where they went and won 11 out of 12 games, and then they lost six straight after that. And now they're back on a winning streak, I guess. They've won one game as of our recording this. And they seem to have turned some things around in terms of their defense has been much more consistent. So if there's one thing that you can look to regarding Miami, it's probably their defensive effort has been great because of Jimmy's return, because of the stability that it provides in defensive end. But they also have turned over their roster. They've made some minor changes here and there. They brought in Trevor Ariza, who's going to be the starter for this team. So it's... It's been a very strange season for Miami, and you'll be witness to that. Um, it feels like both teams have kind of done that dance all season long, right? Win a few, lose a few. Is this team great? Is this team bottoming out? What's going on? Fans freak out, right? I mean, I think both you and I, we've we've had conversations about this offline several times. We were even on the Locked On NBA show, um, just sort of discussing the the reactions that we've seen and, and had with fans, right? And, and both teams have sort of been, it's been kind of hard to make what what they realistically are this year, but we're kind of getting to the point with 25 or so games left where maybe this is just what they are. I mean, where are you on the heat right now? I, pretty, I've pretty i been pretty consistent. I've been one of the more optimistic voices of heat media and heat t- fandom or heat Twitter or whatever you want to call it because I feel like there's been a lot of jumping the ship, a lot of desperation there. It started off so badly for heat fans because the summer or off season rather began with this, you know, this incredible run from the finals and expectations they were just going to keep building on that. And then you start hearing the potential rumor of making an offseason trade for Giannis Antetokounmpo, of course, Warriors fans, all too familiar with that prospect as well. And then they're they're dismayed when he signs the Supermax. Well, then they kind of put all their eggs in the other or all their dominoes in the James Harden basket. And then <laughs> you start focusing on acquiring James Harden. And then that falls through because you're not willing to include Tyler Hero or you don't have enough draft picks. There's very conflicting reports about that. And so there's this up and down crescendo, even from a team building perspective, that is just has left the fans kind of again very disappointed in the season and about their long-term prospects or as far as this, the the finals run is concerned I, I really think that they've 
address whatever weaknesses they had. And as long as you have a player like Jimmy Butler, who's still, in my opinion, a top 10, 15 player, a guy like Bam Adebayo who can do so much, and as long as you continue to get some solid performances here and there from guys like Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, and anybody else you bring in, and now you have potentially a third star in Victor Oladipo, you can make a deep run in the playoffs. I think you can advance to the NBA Finals if everything breaks right. Now, it has to be perfect because you're going up against supremely more talented teams in Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn, certainly. But I, I think from Miami's side of things, they still view themselves as a, a title contender this year. I think for the Warriors, um, well, that's great for Miami. For the Warriors, uh, they <laughs> don't have those expectations. And I thought that was pretty apparent in Bob Myers' uh post-trade deadline press conference and he was asked point blank really what are the expectations realistically for the team this season and you know they they talked about you know make make the play-in maybe you know avoid being a 9-10 seed in the play-in hopefully be a 7 or 8 seed and make some noise right the old make some noise in the playoffs line uh that's really what we're talking about and look when you've got Steph Curry I suppose anything is possible and I think it's pretty remarkable that even these Warriors are hovering around 500 and that really has a lot to do with how good Steph Curry has been this year. You look at his numbers, very reminiscent of you know unanimous MVP season type stats, right? Right. And uh, but beyond him, you know Draymond Green is in a much different phase of his career than he was half a decade ago. Andrew Wiggins is Andrew Wiggins. He's playing the best basketball of his career, but uh, isn't the guy who you can rely on to take over uh, for large swaths of the game. Kelly Oubre started the season in a rough patch, but has been good overall for them, though not as efficient as, uh, you know, what they're used to out of that position, given that Clay Thompson is out with an Achilles tear. Uh, and then the depth just doesn't really exist for this team. And I think that's the biggest difference between the Heat and the Warriors is that the Heat have guys like Trevor Ariza and, um, you know, other guys coming off the bench. I'm blanking on other depth pieces. or Andre Iguodala, you know, these guys who can come off the bench and give you real solid minutes. Goran Dragic comes off the bench for them. Uh, where where the Heat or, or I'm sorry the Warriors are sort of like hopefully Jordan Poole is something you know and he is right. he's been good for them but I, I think if you really look up and down the roster how many guys do you trust in the playoffs on this Warriors team four five maybe where I think with Miami you could realistically say that there's six seven eight guys probably closer to seven or eight guys that you trust in a playoff series and I know that most of my listeners right now they understand where I come from and they probably think I'm a Heat homer right now but I'm just stating the facts and that's not to say that the Warriors uh, can't get those guys. They're just very much in the rebuilding stage, and one of their most important guys is out for the season. Well, I made this point, something echoing similarly to what you're saying during the NBA Finals, you know, where everybody was making that kind of clear-cut comparison. It's like, well, the Lakers have the top two players. Like, yeah, on paper, they are the best two players in a vacuum, absolutely, even in the in context of the Finals. But then you have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo not far behind him. And the reality with that team was that you could have, at that point before Goran Dragic got hurt, he was certainly capable of putting up a 30-point night in the, in the context of a seven-game series. And that would make him, at least for one night, at least a top two, maybe top three player as far as the, the when he stacked both rosters up against one another. And that's what Miami had. They had that depth where you had a hero explosion, certainly as a potential option and during a, one game to another. You had Goran Dragic. You had other players, Jake Crowder at that point, who could step up and hit really big shots. And so maybe, again, on paper, they don't have the most talented team, but they have players that can 
conveniently step up in key situations that help them, you know, propel them to a victory. So uh, Miami's depth has been a little inconsistent because of health and safety protocols and injury and everything else. And now with the the recent trades, it's a little. I mean, you, Heat fans are not as optimistic about the depth because we just haven't seen it during the course of the season. But my expectation is that they'll be able to find some kind of stability now that the trade the deadline has passed. Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson in particular, you could see the burden of having to to prove themselves before the trade deadline. And, and with every shot that they were taking, open shots that they would have absolutely hit uh, last season, this season they just weren't falling because they were just so much pressure on them knowing that their names were included in trades for other key players mm-hmm. like Kyle Lowry and, and, and stuff like that. So well, I think that pressure's off of them now and, and you can see a, a, much more, a, a much more familiar version of the Heat. Yeah, and I think for the Warriors, where they're at now is is it's still a pretty good spot, right? Steve Kerr told, said to media today that he thinks that they're, and has said this over the last couple of weeks, he thinks that they're ready to go on a run. James Wiseman is now a permanent part of the starting lineup as center. He just He's coming off of probably the best two-way game of his you know young career. You've got guys like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre very much selling to their roles. Oubre's still on the team after the trade deadline, which we'll hit here in a moment. Uh, Steph Curry obviously doing what it is that he does, and, and if they can, if they've been holding out their best basketball, which Steve Kerr thinks that they are, and maybe the, and maybe that's the same thing with the Heat. Uh, we're in tune. Maybe, maybe we're ready for a, a really great game, just like the first one we had on February seventeenth. A nice overtime game. Maybe we're ready to get an, another great game uh, Thursday night in Miami. Heat fans do- look to that game as as one of the low points, if not the lowest point of the season. By the way. Oh, interesting. That was one of the high points for Warriors fans. Funny how that works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it was just, it was an overtime lot. It was a whole thing about the West Coast road trip, too. They were in that seven-game trip that was the longest That's in right. franchise history. And and so Heat fans were staying up till 1 o'clock in the morning only to watch them crap the bed in, in the fourth quarter and then have to go into overtime and watch Kent Bazemore, of all people, sink their hopes. So that, that was a, a particularly <laughs> tough loss to swallow. Um. You mentioned the trade deadline. We kind of talked around it. I want to get your thoughts on what happened to the trade deadline and for both teams, moreover, what didn't happen at the trade deadline. We'll talk about that next. But first, I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast I think you're really going to love, and it's called Death at the Wing. It's a sports documentary podcast hosted by Adam McKay, the writer and director of The Big Short, Vice, and Anchorman. I mean, if you haven't heard of those, you've been living under a rock for the last 20 years. Uh, it's 1980s basketball saw players like Magic Johnson and Dr. J becoming household names, bringing a faster and flashier style of play that captivated TV audiences. But along the way to wealth and stardom, the excess of the 80s took its toll on the next generation of basketball. And never in the history of any sport have we seen so many who were ready to become stars face tragic deaths in such short of a time frame. McKay is joined by sports journalists and experts who lived through these moments in history to explore this overlooked phenomenon and the web of social, political, and cultural forces at play. Uh, I don't know. I think everybody was just completely captivated by the last dance and all these things and uh, over the, you know, the pandemic. And when you get an opportunity to look back and sort, of, and sort of reframe things like that that happened in the 80s and the 90s, especially in the NBA where just so much has happened over the last, I don't know, 50 years that have changed the game, it just seems like there's inflection points happening every decade. This was one of those inflection points, what, what happened in the 80s. It was certainly a low point for the NBA, but uh, just as important a point in, in NBA history as anything else. So I think if you like that kind of stuff, if you love The Last Dance or 30 for 30, I think you're going to love Death at the Wing. Search for Death at the Wing wherever you get podcasts to start listening. 
Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the new Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. David, I mentioned the trade deadline. So the big news for both of these teams, right, were that the Heat were in, you know, rumored to be in the running for Kyle Lowry, maybe the number one potential destination for Kyle Lowry. They did not pull the trigger on that trade for whatever reason. The Warriors, speculation about whether or not they would trade Kelly Oubre there for weeks leading up to the deadline. Ultimately, they do they do not move Kelly Oubre. Let's start with the Heat. What were your impressions of what didn't happen for them at the deadline? Well, I was resigned to them acquiring Lowry. It seemed like it was almost virtually a done deal. And I, I think the expectation was actually that they were going to acquire both Lowry and Oladipo. So they only wound up getting half of that prospect. But the Lowry deal falling through, you know, I, I thought it was a good move because you're looking at, from a, a defensive standpoint, you know, Miami's guard position is particularly weak. You know, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic, the three guys that kind of alternate as a quote-unquote point guard position aren't particularly good defensively. You bring in a guy like Lowry with championship experience, a defensive acumen, big shot scoring. What, what, what was the what was the rumored deal? It would be Duncan Robinson. They were never going to include Tyler Hero, right, if they were going to get Lowry. That much had been out there. I don't buy was- any of that. I don't buy any of that. that it, reportedly, they were unwilling to include Hero. I think it was just they realized that they weren't going to accept a deal without Hero and they kind of put it publicly out there that he was never included in any package. I don't buy that for a second. Okay, fair. Right. Well, they weren't, but but they were never going to trade Hero for Kyle Lowry. Like, that never made sense for them. Now he's probably a little bit too rich. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, to give up a guy as young as Hero for somebody as good as Lowry, but 35 years old, Kyle Lowry is, something like that? I That, I, I, that it, never struck me. It's just they would have stripped the... Yeah, they, the draft assets for Miami weren't particularly great, so it's not like they have a lot of picks to include. So you're looking at throwing in matching salary, you know, Andre Iguodala, uh, Kelly Olynyk, et cetera, and then if you're still trying to put together or cobble some deal together for Oladipo as well, if Hero's name comes up, I mean, I, I think at this point you kind of have to explore it and realize that you're just pivoting from this youth movement. And look, it's Pat Riley. I mean, he traded Karan Butler in his third year. Lamar Butler, I mean, so Lamar Odom, who he had just signed as a restricted free agent the year before, he traded him for Shaquille O'Neal towards the end of his career. And it wound up leading to a oh, yeah, championship but, but, in 2006. I mean, so. I mean, Shaq was still MVP caliber. I mean, he was in the MVP race that first year in Miami. I don't think no Kyle Lowry is even close to that. I, I would imagine. I, I think that it was the right decision for them not to include Hero. And if it was just Duncan Robinson, I actually think it was a mistake of Toronto not to do that. Because even if you can get Duncan yeah. Robinson, who's a fine player, you at least get something for nothing. And I, it feels like to me, Masai Ujiri, on the cusp of his own free agency, by the way, didn't right. want to get fleeced in a deal months before he was ready to sign his next contract. That was at least my impression, because I do think it was a mistake, because Kyle Lowry's going to walk. I mean, he's gone in free agency more likely than not, right? He's either going to... And he might end up in Miami anyway. And you might get... Yep. You might end up with Victor Oladipo and Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson without, and not having to give up any of those guys, right? Because you could presumably resign, if you're the Heat, Victor Oladipo, because I, I think you have his bird rights, right? And so you can... You do. Even though he's going to be a free agent. So you could, you could bring in Kyle Lowry... And then go over the cap and, and use bird rights to sign Victor Oladipo and keep both of them with all those other guys we're talking about. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean it is the the dream scenario. You, you know, you, you were hoping for Giannis Antetokounmpo doesn't happen, and then you somehow wind up uh, you know falling ass backwards into this incredible team building movement. So yeah, and Kyle Lowry can actually perform in the playoffs, unlike Giannis. So there's that. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> for for the Warriors. 
Uh, again, kind of anticlimactic, right? I mean, you, you thought expect <laughs> you thought changes were coming, and and it did not happen. Well, changes did come, David. They got, they traded Brad Wanamaker and Marquise Chris. Sorry, for cap yeah, space. I know that was that was a lot of a lot of movement there on the trade deadline. Uh, they got they got the draft scale, rights. That was pretty they got, high. They got the the draft rights of a guy who plays in like Korea and was drafted in the second round in 2015. So you know, could be a hidden light gem. Years. Light, light years. years, absolutely light years. Um, I think just like I think it was a mistake for the Raptors not to trade Kyle Lowry. I do ultimately think it'll be a mistake for the Warriors not to trade, not to have traded Kelly Oubre. Uh, I think there, there chances are that he's gone in free agency. I'm not going to say it's 100 percent that he's gone. My sense is that he's probably gone. There's just so many teams. I mean, we mentioned Giannis having signed the extension. Where that left teams like Miami. If Miami's going to use their cap space to go sign Kyle Lowry and bring back Victor Oladipo, then I don't know who the free agents are that anybody wants. Kelly Oubre is going to get paid. I mean, just because of supply and demand, David. And, and I think you have teams out there like Dallas and New Orleans and New York and Atlanta, some of these other teams that have tons of cap space that can offer Kelly Oubre yeah. a starting job potentially, uh, where the Warriors probably aren't going to be able to do that. And and they are going to be in a position, I think, where they end up risking that, that Kelly Oubre probably walks away and they don't get anything for him. Now, they could do some things like sign-in trades and stuff like that, but... Again, if he's going to a team with cap space, they have no incentive to facilitate a sign and trade and lose anything when they could just sign Ubre outright. Uh, which do you I think get a sense that they do. want to re-sign him? I think they would prefer to re-sign him at the right cap figure. I think they have a dollar amount in mind, and right. and if it exceeds that, then he's going to go. But he's basically said he could do more than come off the bench. He would like to be a starter, and you can't blame him. He spent most of his career coming off the bench. Broke through as a starter last year in Phoenix. I, I strongly doubt he wants to return to the bench. He's, he's said as much as that. Um, and the Warriors just can't offer him a starting job. And I've heard people say, oh, we'll just start him over Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins would be a great six man anyway. All right, cool. You tell Joe Lake up the guy he's paying $31 million to is coming off the bench. You know? And, and yeah, I just. He doesn't exactly fit the profile of your typical six man, too, right? He's not ignitable right. that way as an offensive player. Right, Ubre would actually, you know, in some respects, be better than that. And again, he probably doesn't want to do that. Now the Warriors will approach him about it. They're aware of it. You know, Bob Myers has said that he's talked to his agent about it. I just think it's slim. And I actually, I, me, this is not actual reporting necessarily, but it's 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 an educated guess, I should say. I think that something fell through at the trade deadline that was related mm-hmm. to the Kyle Lowry trade that never happened. And I think the Warriors had a deal in place that would have sent Kelly Oubre elsewhere, would have gotten some sort of return. Now, I have no idea what that return would be, but I think they would have gotten something for Kelly Oubre. But when the when Kyle Lowry ultimately was not moved by Toronto, I think right. Golden State was somehow involved in that, and it didn't work out. And uh, and their backup plan, where Miami's backup plan might have been Victor Oladipo, or maybe it was just part two of the plan and part one never happened. But for the Warriors, right. their backup plan, I think, was just, you say, screw it, we'll hold on to Kelly Oubre and just roll the dice this summer. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. What, what's um, just for my own edification? What is the James Wiseman experience like there? Because I just see like he gets an awful lot of crap his way from fans and stuff like that. And I wonder if you could provide some kind of context for my listeners. Uh, the fans have Lamelo Ball uh, related buyer's remorse over James Wiseman. Oh, is that what, okay? Is that and what it is? Um, and you look at what Lamelo is doing in Charlotte or was doing in Charlotte before the broken wrist with all the ball movement and the exciting plays and stuff like that. And with Wiseman, it's like, all right, well, he kind of looks like a stiff out there. He doesn't really know what he's doing. And it's true. He has no idea what he's doing. Uh, but he's also 19, just turned 20 today, actually. Uh, and he's played all of, you know, after after high school, played three games in college, and that was it. 
until he was the opening day starter. And so, of course, he was overwhelmed. And I would, argue, I would also argue this. It's not a great situation for him. Uh, where LaMelo Ball gets gets to do whatever he wants in Charlotte and run the show and and get as many shots as he wants and as many minutes as he wants, and, and you kind of tailor the offense around him, James Wiseman is walking into a spot where you know guys like Zaza Pachulia were playing center, and the offense right. was based on guys playing center like Zaza Pachulia did. And uh, and Steve Kerr has had to grow with Wiseman, figure out what he can and cannot do. And Wiseman's had to grow with Steve Kerr and Steph Curry and Draymond Green and all these guys. And I think if you had Wiseman just playing straight high pick and roll in Charlotte, for example, he'd be averaging you know 18 points and nine rebounds a game. And and if the Warriors would have taken Lamelo Ball, he'd be coming off the bench playing you know 15 minutes a game and maybe struggling to adapt to a more complex system. And Warriors fans would be doing the same thing, where they would be like, oh, you know what? Absolutely. And so, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that Wiseman was absolutely the right pick, and maybe the, you know, Lamelo Ball ends up being the superior player long term. I mean, there's a greater chance that that's the case, but um, I think ultimately that's the Warriors ex- fan experiences. Oh man, we could have had that guy doing those things. Where no, you could have had that guy, but probably not doing those things. You, you referenced it before too, and I'm curious, what did you mean about Draymond and being at a different point in his career? Because obviously, now that you're covering the team, like you get a much more in-depth experience there. Uh, where is his headspace at? Like, where does he view this season, and, and what does he want to do moving forward for the rest of his career? He's he's kind of in that Dwayne Wade phase of you wanted me to shoot threes. Well, how about this? I'll never take them. Uh, and and that's kind of where he's at. Oh, you want me to score? How about this? I just won't shoot ever. And he's just going to play, make, and defend, and, and coach on the floor and do those things. That's just where he is. I mean, the athleticism isn't where it was. The triple doubles are fewer and further between. I think, you know, going into the season, I said, hey, if he scores 10 points for you, that's icing on the cake. You can't expect that. That's just a bonus. We're at the point where if he scores five points, that's the bonus, right? That's the icing on the cake. And so maybe you need a little bit more from Draymond going forward, but... That's kind of the part of his career. It's still, I think, a net positive, right? He does so many things that are so hard or impossible to replicate that he's a net positive. Um, But he's just so clearly athletically um, just in a different part of his career, right? He was never going to age well athletically, but his mind is such that he could still be an effective player. Okay, let's talk trades for Draymond to Miami then. All right, let's do that after the break. But first, let's talk about Built Bar. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar covered in chocolate. And now is the time to find out which Built Bar is best. It is Built Bar Madness. And David, I regret to inform you that Cookie Dough Chunk has somehow advanced to the championship game. It's going to play one of Mint Brownie and Coconut Brownie Chunk. I have no idea how Cookie Dough Chunk made it. It beat Cookies and Cream. Uh, it beat delicious. Peanut Butter Brownie. It beat Churro Puff. It beat Apple Almond. Um, uh, it didn't beat Apple Almond Crisp. But it built a, it, it, it. It beat Salted Caramel, which I find hard to believe. I mean, how is it making this far? Because it is the best amongst a very good field of tasty, you know, protein bars. It's very, very good. I love it. I can't believe mint brownie. You know how I feel about it. I can't believe it's advanced this far. Like my wife says, yeah, clearly it's a Final Four candidate. I'm like, what the hell are you watching? I don't even know. I don't even know what she's talking about. But yeah, mint brownie, a delicious combination, I guess. But not to me. I, I like the cookie dough. Oh my god! I know I, you're. you're I know you're taking a strong stand against I cookie know. dough. You and you conceptually. and conceptually. You conceptually, yes. <laughs> I, I am a theoretically anti cookie dough. I just don't. You're so close to having a great product. Just put it in the oven. You've got cookies. I just don't understand why you would ever stop short. If you've gone through the trouble of having cookie dough, just go that extra step and have cookies. Cookies are my favorite dessert. 
But I, I, and I have no interest in eating cookie dough. I have no interest in it. I think you and I, though, have spent more time about this on this bracket complaining about the two flavors we don't like and that you, you just conceptually don't like mint brownie as a concept and I don't like cookie dough no. as a concept, but there are some really, really great flavors. And I actually am surprised by how much I like the coconut brownie chunk that may or may not yeah. have lost to mint brownie in the final four. Um, but I just think there were so many other great flavors that and cookie dough has no business being in there. But uh, go to builtbar.com for yourself to go ahead and vote. You can also do it at bar underscore built on Twitter. While you're at builtbar.com, remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off on your next order. That's LOCKED15, 1-5, to get 15% off on your next order at builtbar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who's going to become the best-tasting protein bar. And it better not be cookie dough. Let's also talk about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The Final Four is starting soon, and I'm not talking about the Built Bar bracket, capping off one of the biggest betting events of the year. And if your bracket is busted, don't worry, you could still get in on the action with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline even covers award shows, TV shows, reality TV, real-time, updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. Again, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only when you use that promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with Locked On NBA Draft Podcast, scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. David, you wanted to talk about Draymond trades. Let's do it. Well, I mean, I, I just I think that he would be a nice fit there alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I mean, it certainly doesn't fit their window from an age perspective. How old is Draymond now? 32 31 31 32 already wow time sure Maybe not. Uh, no, i think that's i'm sorry that's not that's not right i think he's 31 steph's 32 okay well either way so yeah 31. it just seems like it would be a great fit from a defensive standpoint like they're not asking anybody at the four spot to do much other than occasionally stretch the floor and play make and, and certainly he brings a higher level up to do that than either Trevor Ariza or Jay Crowder or anybody else they've had. So maybe from an offensive standpoint, it's not a perfect fit because he does not bring the, the shooting acumen that they would prefer out of that position. But just from a, a vocal presence, a defensive-minded presence, even at this stage of his career, I think they would love to bring somebody like Draymond on there. So you know, let's I mean, talk. He, what, what, what would you want in exchange for a Draymond Green? He fits the culture for sure. I think you're right, and I'm not doing my best job of GMing here, but I think just offensively it would it would just crush them, and I, I just don't think it would work. Um, that said, uh, I really don't know. Well, the, the biggest Warriors factor that make it not going to happen is Rich Paul. So, I mean, what's he's <laughs> right. represented by Rich Paul is not going to happen anyway. So, I mean, this I is think, all theoretical. I think a swap involving something about Goran Dragic coming back to the Warriors that would probably be the part where they start. I just don't see it happening. Because Goran Dragic would be like the ideal six man for this Warriors team, but uh, I, I don't, I don't, and maybe like Precious Achua and Goran Dragic, and then you have a conversation. But uh, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Are there any other trades that can happen between these two teams? Warriors fans always want to know: uh, Is an Andre Iguodala reunion in the works? And I have maintained that probably not, at least not soon. And if it does happen, it probably won't happen until he becomes a free agent. And if he does return, it's going to be in a much different kind of role than Warriors fans were accustomed to seeing. Can you explain to Warriors fans, or at least just kind of describe what it is that Andre Godala has brought to the table for him? He's been a good player, but I just don't think he's what Warriors fans remember him being. 
No, he's certainly not. He's lost a slight step defensively. He's he's playing like small ball five in some lineups at this point. Um, you know, he's being put in a position probably not capable of maximizing his strengths, whatever they might be at this stage in his career, because they're such a small team in general. Like, Bam is playing extended minutes. They don't have anybody else really to back him up. They lost Myers Leonard. They traded away Kelly Olenek, et cetera. So it's not like there's a lot of options at the center position, which is why everybody's clamoring for Boogie Cousins to join Miami, which is very strange, and I'm sure gives Warriors fans a hearty laugh. Uh, (laughs) You know, Iguodala still capable of running the floor, initiating offense. He's, you know, he's a threat from the corner on occasion, but he's still not a consistent shooter and never was and never will be. So, I mean, you get quality minutes in there. Like, everybody loves what he brings to the table. It's probably similar to his impact in, uh, at least off the court, in, in Golden State. Like, he's beloved in that locker room. He's a, a mm-hmm. mentor, great experience, leader, vocal, in all the right ways. They love him. Jimmy Butler talks about him glowingly. Eric Spolstra talks about him glowingly. But it's just on the floor. He just doesn't do that much anymore. Like he can, he, you can count on him for like a steal per game. He still has that that motion where he swipes the ball out of a, a some of an opponent's hand if he's guarding them in the low block. He's got great timing in that sense. Now he doesn't have the speed or the burst to close and, and break up passes or anything like that anymore. But he's still good to force turnovers. He often makes the right decisions when it comes to his passing ability. But Miami shooters haven't been able to capitalize on those passes on most occasions. So, you know. I like having Andre on the team. I like being able to cover him and talk to him. But at the same time, he's just on the floor. He's not a great fit there. I don't think the expectation was ever that he was going to be a huge contributor. And last year, he wound up being relegated to a a throw-in. And Jay Crowder wound up being the steal of that trade. At first, it was Iguodala and then Crowder's being thrown in just to make the salaries work. It wound up flipping the script completely. And Crowder wound up having a huge role. And Iguodala came off the bench and maybe closed, uh, you know, and, and certain you know clutch situations and things of that sort but overall he's been fine in Miami I just I don't know that we're going to get much out of him next year too like every year you see a slight decline in one area of his game and by next season who knows what's going to be available now he does have an, a team option I, I doubt they'll exercise it but I wonder if they would in order to include him in a trade for say a Draymond Green <laughs> right uh, which kind of leads us to where we're going next. What needs to happen for either of these teams to return to the finals? The Heat were just in the finals in the bubble. It's been a couple. It's been since 2019 that the Warriors were in the finals. Both teams have finals aspirations more immediately than long term. Um, I think for the Warriors, it starts with Klay Thompson coming back and building and seeing what he looks like. Number one, can he be, look anything like he did in 2019? If he could be about 80, 90 percent of what he was in 2019, I think they still have a chance if they can, you know supplement the rest of the roster with the right things, go get some more depth. I think Jordan Poole and James Wiseman, if they can continue to blossom and develop into, you know, bona fide rotation type players, if Andrew Wiggins can continue to settle into his role and play even better next to Clay Thompson and more space on the court, uh, continue to get better defensively, Draymond Green, if he can just hold on to what it is that he has left for a couple more years. Um, and then, you know, like I said, it's just a matter of filling out the bench and all the other, you know, fringe places on the roster. I think the Warriors will at least have a chance to compete in a Western Conference, as loaded as the West is right now. But what about for the Heat? I mean, they could duplicate last season's run this year. It's harder because they were a team built to stop Milwaukee, and they did so very effectively, and they were able to beat up on Indiana and Boston along the way, and then they got hurt right before matching up against the Lakers. But for this team, like the the road is tougher because Philadelphia is better. They're a much more well-rounded team. Brooklyn certainly has much more talent. Uh, I think they have to stay healthy, 
and there's a big X factor there with Goran Dragic. Like his his lack of skill at this point, and uh, you know the age just taking away his impact. Uh, you know, an injury from last season too. It's hard to predict exactly what kind of role he'll have. And similarly to what I said before, when you have him playing at his best, the way he did in the last year's bubble, this is a very very good team. That's not I'm not gonna say unstoppable, but they're very hard to beat. With Goron being the question mark that he is, it's hard to exactly see where they'll move forward. And we haven't even seen what Victor Oladipo can play. Like, I'm high on Oladipo's presence from a defensive standpoint, and I think offensively he's going to fit so well there now that he's a third-scoring option on this team or maybe a second-scoring option uh, you know, alongside Bam Adebayo, second to Jimmy Butler. If he fits in as well as I expect him to, they'll be a very good team. I don't know that they can knock off Brooklyn, although I would say that the Nets are probably their toughest competition. Maybe a slight edge to the to the Bucks as well. Overall, I'd like Miami's chances of being able to duplicate. As far as next season, who knows? They're going to have to continue to get more development if they can trade another player or acquire another player via trade, and if they can get more development from Tyler Hero, if Duncan Robinson continues to diversify his game, if Jimmy Butler can stay away from injury, you know, these kinds of things all matter as he's getting older and older and his minutes keep, you know, ticking up. It's hard to see what he's going to be down the road. But for now, you've got a two or three years left of his contract where you want to maximize that opportunity. And it's, uh, you know, that window is very, very short in the NBA. I think both of these teams, as much as I love watching Steph Curry and I love watching the Heat in general, um, I think both of these teams are probably a year away from making legit finals runs again, just because for... Nobody saw it last year, though, for Miami. Yeah, no, you're right. But I think for, like, the Warriors, you're dealing with injuries, and they were hit by COVID protocols a little bit more recently in Miami. For Miami, coming off of a short offseason, injuries, things like that, they never really could have put it together. And now, yeah, maybe they put it together at the the exact right time and make a kind of run. I just think that the odds are stacked against them and that they are due, of, of all the contenders that we're talking about, the Heat are the only one with cap space. And so I think that, you know, if, if you're asking me what if their chances are better this year or next year, I think their chances are actually better the next year to make another finals run because you know that they're going to improve the roster somehow. You just you just know that that's going to be the case. And and obviously with the Warriors, they're going to be improved just by Clay Thompson coming back. And, and I think they'll make other improvements as well. And so uh, I like both of these teams' chances next year more than this year. And who knows? Maybe they meet in the finals next year and we have a much more interesting podcast than we do right now. But uh, I think that... We'll do it for us today, David. Uh, thanks for joining me. I look forward to talking to you next Tuesday on Locked On NBA. As far as Locked On Heat and Locked On Warriors goes, remember to subscribe, follow on new uh, all, for all new episodes of both podcasts wherever you get podcasts. And uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>